Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. enjoyed a glittering and remarkably successful reign as manager of FC Barcelona, but Pep Guardiola had to come through some really dark times in order to get there. In this extract, which is taken from the book Barca, the making of the greatest team in the world, I tell that story and reveal how it influenced the man who'd go on to become a head coach of, arguably, the best club side of all time. There was the injury which robbed Guardiola of 14 precious months of his playing career at the Camp Nou, plus false accusations of nandrolone use while playing in Italy, after he'd walked away from his beloved Barca, feeling at least undervalued by those who ran the club at the time. I explain how Guardiola went on to play in Qatar and Mexico, but turned down a move to English side Wigan Athletic, and a chance to experience firsthand a culture of football which he'd always respected, in fact been enchanted by. Pep's return to the camp now as coach of Barca B, plus his success in that post, paved the way for Guardiola to take over the first team and lead them to a period of unprecedented style and success. My books on FC Barcelona and Spain are both available in full as audiobooks from Audible. You can get one of them for free if you sign up for a 30-day trial membership at audible.co.uk. Come on, you know it makes sense. The Making of Pep It's not possible to please everyone and there's no point in trying to be what other people think you should be. For me, it's important to be who I am. Pep Guardiola When God made Joseph Pep Guardiola, he used a mould marked Charmed Life to be given all available gifts. I forget for whom the description women want to be with him, men want to be him was first coined, but it fits Guardiola as perfectly as those 30-inch waist trousers which still improbably fit his snake hips at the age of 41. Guardiola rules the club he loves, has a happy, long-term relationship with Christina, is father to three young kids, has produced something so artistic so thrilling in his working life that people all over the world are inspired by it. Oh, and by the middle of his fifth season as a manager, he had won 14 major trophies. An impossibly perfect life. However, everyone suffers for their art, even this phenomenal man. For all the talent, grace and intelligence, there have been some daunting hurdles in his path and some dark times. For instance, Guardiola was once told that his seven-stone weakling build and his Charlie Chaplin gait meant he wouldn't make it to the top level in football. He suffered an horrendous 14 months when a calf injury robbed him of serious playing time. His sister, Francesca, said of that period, Pep was really down when I saw him. Although he's always been self-contained, the injury made him even more withdrawn. Worst of all, some people, who should have valued his massive contribution to Catalan culture, chose to hack away at his individuality with scurrilous behaviour which hurt him badly. What's called the entorno around the camp now, those within and out with the club who passed titbits of information back and forth, began to speculate that 
simply because Guardiola was fashionable, read poetry, went to the cinema and once trod the boards of a fashion show for his friend Tony Miro, perhaps Barca's captain was gay. Neither Guardiola nor any right thinker would view being gay as a stigma, but it was inaccurate and used maliciously against him. Just at that time, I went to the Camp Nou to interview Bobby Robson, then the manager of Barcelona, and I was already a huge admirer of Guardiola's play. I asked several Catalan journalists about the captain's injury, hoping for an understanding of the problem and a possible return date. Without exception, they muttered darkly about the player's lifestyle and what problems it might have caused him. They went further, but I'm not prepared to repeat their unfounded speculation. This is a lad who, aged six, would take the three-hour return bus journeys from the countryside for matches at the camp now, often getting home in the small hours, who followed the path from ball boy to captain and champion. When he conducts his final analysis of a life spent at the camp now, nothing will strip away Guardiola's joyful memory of not only leading the club he loves to unprecedented glory as manager, but also winning 16 trophies as a player. However, there's no escaping the fact that he eventually left Barcelona as an unhappy, disappointed player. His farewell statement in April 2001 was elegant and eloquent, and it underlined his desire to gain experience by living and working abroad. But Guardiola deeply mistrusted the people who ran the club then, and felt undervalued. He jumped before he was pushed. Of all the gifts bestowed on this passionate football man, the most important may be a relentless drive. If there's one sure bet, it's that Pep will overcome. A mutual friend of his and mine dropped him an email to let Guardiola know that he'd been promoted at work. The friend was amused, but not surprised, to receive the reply, Congratulations, but don't relax. Guardiola proved all the scouts and senior players at the camp now that they were wrong to doubt him because of his frail physique. He fought like a tiger to disprove and eventually be totally exonerated of the accusations of nandrolone use he faced while playing in Italy. And he walked away from the club he loves because he wasn't willing to be a pawn of people for whom he'd lost respect. It was a risk but the most successful coach in Barca's history would prove that integrity and success are not mutually exclusive in the brutal world of football. He's not an angel. He can be intense, quixotic and hard to please. Pesado, as they say in Spain. His history as a footballer at Barcelona has many highlights. What he achieved and how he achieved it tells us much about the man who leads the greatest club in the world, but I'm going to use his golden first couple of seasons as a microcosm of his early success. I want to highlight the similarity between what happened to him as a young footballer under Johan Cruyff and what he was then able to do himself as a fledgling coach. The repeat pattern is uncanny, and these were the years which formed the man we see now, gifted, fighting against the odds, mature before his time and already barking orders at people. A genetic modification lab blending a bit of Sergio Busquets, Matthias Sammer, Cesc Fabregas and a drop of Roy Keane plus X-ray vision would produce Guardiola. Today, in his prime, his transfer market value would be in the 40 to 50 million pound bracket. He was a genius as a player. Maybe not a pure 24-carat genius, because some of his skills were not on a par with others. His pace compared unfavourably to his speed of thought. His left foot compared unfavourably to his right. But some of what he did matched anyone who has ever passed a football. Guardiola's best years probably came after being promoted by Cruyff and his assistant Charlie Rexach into what became known as the Dream Team. Cruyff normally used a 3-4-3 formation, where the pivote, in this case Guardiola, is in the middle of the midfield, protecting the back three, 
dropping into defence as an auxiliary when necessary, but above all, restarting the attack as quickly and efficiently as possible when possession is won back. Two traits stood out about Guardiola the player. He could pass the ball onto the head of a pin from 40 metres, and regularly did so for Romario, Risto Stoichkov, Michael Laudrup and Rivaldo to score for Barcelona. The second was his reading of situations. That included understanding when the snapping, pressing players around him, Eusebio and Jose Maria Baquero, were going to cause an opponent to lose possession, being well positioned to receive or finally win the loose ball, and then have a one-touch pass already worked out in his head. Those 16 trophies he won included six La Liga titles and Barcelona's inaugural European Cup victory at Wembley in 1992, but his very presence at Barca was his initial triumph. He moved from San Pedor, over an hour away from the camp now, deep in the Catalan countryside, to live in the stone farmhouse which is situated just behind that goal nord of the camp now, where Teddy Sheringham and Oli Gunnar Solskjaer scored those famous goals for Manchester United in the 1999 Champions League final. St Pedor is a small, charming, largely agricultural town, part of whose name, quite aptly given Guardiola's subsequent career, signifies the golden place. Humility and the age-old order of things are important there, to the extent that despite his stellar success, the town's website ranks him 11th out of 11 famous people to emanate from the little medieval settlement. I'd like to say that the other 10 are nuclear physicists, multimillionaire philanthropists, Dean Martin and Sophia Loren, but they aren't. His description restricts itself to his playing exploits, which at the camp now finished a decade ago, and the declaration that he was given the freedom of his hometown in October 2009. Apparently, Guardiola will need to do a damn sight better than winning 14 trophies in just over four years, lifting the Champions League twice and becoming the most successful manager in Barcelona's history to be bumped up the list of notable people. His mum, Dolores, recalls the day when Pep and his parents finally succumbed to the siren song from the Camp Nou. It was very upsetting, and I cried a lot. It was like they had stolen our child from us. We found it very hard, and so did he. That day we dropped him off at La Masia. We looked through the window of his room and he said, Mum, every morning when I wake up, the first thing I'll see will be the football pitch. And that's how he started at Barca. However, the club scouts had initially doubted him. One of their most experienced, the late Oriol Tort, came back from a scouting trip to Manresa, the local club where Guardiola took his first formative footballing steps, with the verdict that he moves like Charlie Chaplin. But they weren't put off. Carlos Naval, who still stands by the dugout at Barca matches, was probably a swaying voice, and he recalls, he wasn't a big kid or very strong, but he played like an angel. He had such vision and a tremendous ability to anticipate everything. So people at La Masia asked me how old he was and when I told them Pep was only 11, they didn't believe he could be that good. Miracles like that don't happen, they would say. I just told them to get out there and watch him. Luis Mila would eventually move from Barca to Real Madrid, having occupied the prize pivote position, thus opening up the space into which the young Guardiola moved permanently. Mia remembers the kid from St. Pedor's first steps at the club. It was hard for him to come to La Masia, age 13 or 14. He'd come from a small town, and some of the kids like him couldn't stick it and went back home after a while. But Pep was very mature for his age. The dream team fullback, Guillermo Amor, is now the head of Barca's youth development, but played alongside Guardiola for his entire Camp Nou career and admits... Some people were worried he was too skinny and wouldn't grow tall enough. But he was such a good footballer who could read the game better than any of his peers. They gave him the time to develop 
and to grow a bit. From this vantage point, such doubts over a young Catalan talent's stature and physique seem bizarre. Xavi, Pedro, Messi, Iniesta, Mata, Aguero and Alves are currently the toast of the world and never in the history of football has the little big man ruled quite this proudly. So perhaps the situation in 1990 needs some context. Johan Cruyff was always going to be willing to promote those who could play the ball with confidence, vision and accuracy, but this was still a relatively early time in his reign, and Barca were unrecognisable from today. When Cruyff joined in 1988, they had only won the league twice in the previous 28 years. So, given that Cruyff took three years to lift the Spanish title, his job was already under threat when, in October 1990, Ronald Koeman tore his Achilles tendon in a defeat at Atletico Madrid. Cruyff went to his president, Josep Nunez, and asked for Jan Mulby of Liverpool as a replacement. The discussion went badly. Nunez wasn't happy with Mulby's physical shape, nor his age, or the fact that he played in a different position to Koeman. For four or five days, things went quiet. Cruyff came back and told his jumpy boss... OK, we've rethought. Give me and Charlie Rexach, his assistant, one extra year on contract and instead of buying, we'll use Alexanko, who eventually wore the captain's armband for Barca in their 1992 European Cup triumph, but who was more of a bench player at the time, a lot more at the back and promote this kid Guardiola from the Cantera. Today, such a decision would be absolutely the norm. Danny Alves has a saying that football es para listos. Football's for the smart guys. His theory goes that the short or skinny guys like him, Xavi, Iniesta and Messi need to be smarter than the six foot four inch beasts who can run fast and jump high but who would need a how-to manual in order to control the ball or play one-touch football. It's why, on the Brazilian's ankle, there is a tattoo of the little cartoon canary, Tweety Pie, with a sword behind his back, about to slay the menacing Sylvester the Cat. Revenge of the little guys, Alves calls it. However, in a different era, Cruyff's decision to promote Guardiola was the litmus test for the theory that quality, vision and intelligence, not experience or size, would form the cornerstones of Barcelona's evolving football philosophy. An example of how the system still wasn't functioning, and many years later would fail in an identical way with Cesc Fabregas and Gerard Pique, was that Cruyff initially couldn't find Guardiola in the cantera, even though Rex Hatch had told his boss that this kid was worth betting their futures on. Rex Hatch told me, Johan went to watch Barca B one Sunday, in late 1989, specifically to watch Pep. But he was told that Pep didn't play in Barca B, in the youth team instead, Juvenil A. I explained that Pep was still in that youth team because he was so small and skinny. Johan had a look anyway and decided to promote the player to the B side and to let him train regularly with the first team. Eventually, in January 1990, Guardiola made the big step up against Oviedo. He was in the first team squad, not the starting eleven, but it was a huge moment for the local kid who still looked like he was 15 but had just celebrated his 19th birthday. That weekend, Guardiola told the local Catalan station, TV Tres, I play in midfield as a number four or a number six. I'm more of a technical player and I try to play a straightforward game. I pass the ball and don't go for too many complicated moves. He didn't name the team position in traditional style, central midfield, right back, inside left, but in the Ajax style, he named the position's number. What's more, if his philosophy could be boiled down into a short phrase, it would still be, play a straightforward game, pass the ball, and don't go for too many complicated moves. Keep that phrase in your mind if you truly want to understand Pep Guardiola. Then, his debut came. It's December 1990, week 15 of La Liga, 
and the fluorescent yellow Kadiv are the visitors to the camp now, bringing with them one of the few noisy, boozy travelling supporters in Spain, all the way up from the furthest southwest tip of Andalusia. Guardiola produces a serious, sober 90 minutes in a 2 0 win, and then the drama starts. Between that debut and his next appearance, there are 14 matches, plus the shock of a cardiac arrest for his manager. Cruyff reports chest pains after Barca beat Valladolid 5 1 on February 23, 1991, and by February 27, he's rushed to hospital. Cruyff doesn't return to the bench until a trip to Castellón on week 30 when there is an awfully depleted first-team squad. No Alexanko, Stoichkov, Chiquipiquerestein, Baquero or Nando. Still, this is Cruyff's first away game since his heart problems started and Rexach says to the players, win this one and it's pretty much game over for the chasing pack. The league is nearly ours. Again, Pep plays 90 minutes, they win 1-0. Two more matches come and go, a 3-0 home win to Sevilla, plus a 1-1 draw at Mallorca, and the young Guardiola keeps his place in midfield. But that's that for his first season, one that ends with Cruyff's first championship. With the youngster, an emblem of La Masia, protecting the back four in the pivoti position, Barca have played four matches, won three and drawn one. Those appearances don't earn him a medal, but he is part of what is only Barca's fourth title win in three decades. They cross the tape despite being whipped 4-0 at Cadiz because the following night a goal from John Aldridge completes a glorious fight back for Sociedad against Atletico Madrid, thus handing the title to Barcelona. Barca are defeated by Alex Ferguson's Manchester United in the European Cup Winners' Cup final, but at Rotterdam Airport the next morning, President Josep Nunez promises, Though it's a disappointment to lose a title like this, we won't react with knee-jerk signings. The kids from Barca B have already shown there's no need to go crazy. Guys like Pinilla, Guardiola and Herrera are the future. They're phenomenal. The Guardiola era had begun. Just like the astonishing success Sergio Busquets would have under Guardiola the manager from third division footballer to the World Cup final within three years, Pep, the player, hit the accelerator. Already he was a fundamental part of Cruyff's dream team. They'd been named in homage to the USA basketball squad as the superstars of the NBA, Charles Barkley, Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson et al., promised to bring the greatest collective in the history of that sport to the forthcoming Barcelona Olympics. Just ahead of that Olympic summer of 1992, Guardiola, still only a kid, was preparing for the European Cup final at Wembley. His view was, we have to show a lot of insolence and power. In cup finals, it's fear or holding something back in reserve which can defeat you. The worst thing that can happen in a match like this is that nobody wants to have a shot or score the goals or assume responsibility for winning because nerves dominate their choices. We need to be brave. I've got no doubt that a couple of hours before the match I'll have butterflies in my stomach. But we have to show what we're made of, how good we are. Every word could have been lifted from his team talk before Wembley 2011. But then he was only 21. It was his first major final and already he was talking like a battle-hardened general. That's our pep. Barca won, famously, after Koeman's fizzing goal in the 111th minute. There was mayhem in Catalonia for days and days. Real Madrid had been rubbing Barca's nose in the fact that the European Cup was a private, Castilian party since 1955. But finally, the Ligers were on the guest list. At that time, trophies were formally presented by the club in the Plaza de San Jaume, in the heart of Barca's ancient Gothic quarter. Everyone had their golden moment, but the 21-year-old Josep Guardiola stole the show. Fifteen years earlier, not long after Franco's death, the Catalan ideologist and politician Josep Taradeas 
who had been named president in absentia by his people in 1954, returned as head of the newly recognised Catalan Parliament. On the same balcony as Barca's players would stand on, on May 21st, 1992, Taradeus had roared, de Catalunya, ya soc aquí, citizens of Catalonia, I'm here. On that occasion, Guardiola had not been allowed to attend, but he was inspired by Taradeus. And then, in 92, shouted out, Citizens of Catalonia, now you have it here. He instantly became both a saint and a humorist forever in Catalonia. I had the phrase prepared, he admitted afterwards. I also set the video to take the game, and I'll watch it millions of times until I grow old. However, domestically, Barca were still in a dogfight and had to face their bitter rivals, Espanyol. The dream team is anything but fatigued, hitting six at Valladolid and four in Sarriá against Javier Clemente's Espanyol, conceding not once. Clemente refuses the newly crowned European champions the traditional pasillo, or guard of honour, and bitches afterwards, Cruyff doesn't deserve a corridor, nor a stepladder or a doormat. He's rude and uneducated as a person. That's my opinion. Even with ten men for over an hour, thanks to Nando's red card, Barca strip Espanyol to the bone. Before the match, Guardiola comments, The great teams have always won a trophy one day, but been ready to fight for the next title 24 hours later. I want La Liga. And if they bring back the Copa del Generalissimo, I want to win it. Then, if they organise a friendly match, I want to win that too. Then if I'm in the Olympic squad, I want us to win that gold medal. The birth date on the passport says he was only 21 at the time. His words suggest something else. With one game left, Real Madrid are ahead of Barcelona by a point. Barca eased to a 2-0 win against Athletic Bilbao, while Madrid lose 3-2 to Tenerife, despite being 2-0 up after half an hour. Tenerife score their third with 13 minutes left, and at the camp now, 100,000 transistor radios are thrown in the air. The Dream Team have back-to-back La Liga titles and are champions of Europe. On Wednesday, June 10, Guardiola is on the front cover of El Mundo Deportivo with the European Cup and the League Trophy, accompanied by the words Guardiola, el héroe más joven que jamás tuvo el club azulgrana. Guardiola, the youngest hero Barca have ever had. By a quirk of fate, Qatar, where Guardiola will later play league football and for whom he will controversially play ambassador as they ludicrously win the right to host the 2022 World Cup, are in Spain's Olympic football group. Spain beat Colombia, Egypt and the Qataris en route to a quarter-final against Italy, which is also won 1-0 thanks to Guardiola's great friend, the Atletico Madrid striker, Kiko. La Furia Rojita then defeat Ghana in the semi-final at Valencia's Mestalla Stadium, then named the Luis Casanova Stadium, in front of 15,000 fans. Before the final, Spain moved temporarily into the Rey Juan Carlos Hotel, about 10 minutes' walk from the Camp Nou. Five-star accommodation for the totally unexpected stars of the Spanish Olympic Armada. The rest of the players were delighted to be isolated, but Guardiola typically admitted that having abandoned Valencia, their base for the rest of the games, he'd far rather have lived the experience in the Olympic village down on the beachfront. On the eve of the final, Guardiola tells El Mundo Deportivo, we're relaxed and confident of winning gold in the final, but we cannot underestimate the rival. There's nothing done yet. It's important that we take them very seriously indeed. He meant it then, and it remains his mantra now. Before the game, he reveals more of the drive and self-motivation that fuels his engine still. Nobody believed in us, nobody backed us, but little by little, people are beginning to realise that we play pretty well. Now I'm confident that at least 60,000 will turn up to support us at the camp now, because to fill it is going to be impossible. It's a super important moment to be involved in this world fiesta of sport. I just couldn't understand any sportsman or woman 
who didn't feel pride in competing here. To participate in an Olympics more than compensates for having lost your holidays. Being at the opening ceremony was a very intense moment for me and I reminded myself to enjoy the feelings and sensations because I wouldn't ever again wear the Spanish Olympic uniform. It's hard for me to put into words how strong that emotion was. Sixteen years later, Leo Messi would benefit from how strongly Guardiola believed in what he was saying. As a proud Catalan, Pep had been streetwise enough to expect that the Barcelona public might not fully support Spain, even in an Olympic final at the Camp Nou. It's impossible there'll be more than 60,000 fans, he'd predicted. A rare Guardiola error. In fact, he was wrong by a distance. Spain beat Poland, having trailed 1-0 and then been pegged back to 2-2 with 14 minutes left and there were 95,000 people roaring them on, including the King and Queen, who hurried over from the Olympic Stadium up on Monjuic on hearing that Poland were winning at half-time. Approximately nine minutes after King Juan Carlos takes his seat in the centre stand and the buzz dies down a little, Guardiola takes a left-wing free kick and places the ball squarely in front of Abelardo's darting move at the back post for the headed equaliser. There exists an exceptional television shot of the King and Queen, certainly delighted by the goal, but moved to wonderment at the camp now roaring on Spain. Juan Carlos turns to Sofia and gestures to the vast high tribunes above and around them. Just look at all this, he's saying to her. Since Franco seized power so bloodily in the late 1930s and maintained it so pitilessly, perhaps it's the first indication that parts of Catalonia can feel pride at Spain's achievements. At least, so long as there are Catalans like Guardiola, Chapi Ferrer, goalkeeper Tony and striker Tony Pinilla in the squad. Kiko somehow scores a 91st-minute winner and the referee blows time almost as soon as the kick-off is taken. In lauding the two Catalans, Guardiola and Ferrer, who have won league, European Cup and Olympic gold in a season, Mundo Deportivo's Frances Perarnau writes prophetically, No Catalan footballer in the history of FC Barcelona has ever won more prizes in a season. Both of them have been the pillars of this team with seriousness and aplomb, plus a little dose of genius. But the most important thing is that they brought a winner's mentality to the team and one which seems to be contagious for their generation. Besides the courage and emotions of the team yesterday, Spain reached and won the final because their newly found champion mentality has allowed the side to approach each and every game with a special psychology. The best thing is that these two now have the rest of their lives to explore that and improve on it. Pep himself says, I don't give much worth to this golden-coloured medal in general, but winning this final against Poland is an experience I'm never going to be able to repeat the Olympics. So the exact worth of this medal, which is bending my neck, I'm sure won't really sink into me for a few years yet. He'd feel very similarly at regular moments during his Barcelona career. Four more Spanish league titles, two Spanish Cups, the European Cup Winners' Cup, the European and Spanish Super Cups. Even when the Cruyff magic wore off, there were important successes under Louis van Gaal and Bobby Robson. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Injuries cost him his place at the World Cup in France, where Spain lose ignominiously to Nigeria, and the long enmity between Javier Clemente and anything to do with FC Barcelona was the main cause of him not being chosen for Euro 96. More fool Clemente. His talent deserved more than his 47 caps, and that partly explains Spain's glass jaw during Guardiola's era. He alone couldn't have made them world or European champions, but his absence was badly felt. The spine of the Spain team looked like this. Guardiola's teammate, Andoni Zubiereta in goal, the mighty Fernando Hierro at sweeper, Guardiola at the nerve centre in midfield, and then one of Europe's all-time greats, Raúl, up front. The odd quarter-final was a small reward. Hierro, a Madrid legend, remains a Guardiola admirer. Pep, with all his technical ability and force of character, was essential for the national team, he recalls. Michel, later Guardiola's opponent as manager of Getafe and Sevilla, has pointed out that Pep was restless playing football. He used to talk non-stop and was always gesturing and trying to manage the whole team. It was like he was trying to direct traffic. If those words explain some of the roots of Guardiola the manager, it's equally important to understand the dark end to his playing career at the camp now and the events which make him the tougher man on a mission that took control of Barcelona. After Cruyff's dramatic and foolhardy sacking, the club were rebuilding under Robson and Van Gaal in a way which marginalised Guardiola's importance and restricted his salary potential. Players were signed for huge money rather than developed at La Masia. They legitimately demanded and were paid enormous wages, which meant that if the club was economising and if a hierarchy of importance was developing, Guardiola and his ilk were on the slide. Guardiola holds firm principles, is sometimes reserved and is also a very black is black and white is white kind of man. Perhaps he played a part in the decline in relations between himself and the board, then headed by the former vice president, Juan Gaspar. He was waiting for Gaspar to make a formal offer of renewal which reflected his status and achievements. But it never came. So he grasped the nettle in a press conference in April 2001 where he announced that he had taken a unilateral decision to leave Barcelona and to embark on a foreign adventure. That had a seismic impact. Not only was he the highest achieving Catalan in the club's entire history, he was symbolic of La Masia. He was a darling of the fans and still a brilliant football mind. Catalans often say, Catalonia has everything you could wish for. They cite the beach, the mountains, the skiing, the weather, the food, the football and the arts. It's a fair argument that life ain't bad there, but for some it means that there's no need whatsoever to expand horizons. Tengo todo aquí, I've got it all here, can also be a stifling expression. Certainly, it can stifle their need for expansion and experimentation. But Guardiola was different. This is what he said. Last night at 11 o'clock, I met with President Gaspar and we talked for two hours. I asked him to attend this gathering with me, but it wasn't possible. And he's had to be elsewhere today. He'll talk to you on Tuesday. But I'm here today to give you my interpretation on what we discussed. When I arrived at Barcelona... I was a totally inexperienced lad of 13. Now I've got kids of my own. This has been my home for 17 years and I'm proud and happy to have grown up and matured here. But now I'm 30 years old and feel 
I'm watching my career slip through my fingers. I don't have many playing years left and I have to weigh up my choices. Should I be content to finish my career here or take on the challenge of discovering other countries and their football leagues? Get to know different football clubs and new teammates with whom I can play and compete? I have to be honest and say that I'm more attracted by the idea of discovering new things. For those reasons, I have to tell you exactly what I told the President yesterday, that I will finish my career abroad. I've no idea where, because up till now, I've ignored any offers that have come my way. I needed to finish my business with Barca first. But from this moment on, I'll be knocking on doors in England, Italy, France and Germany. Josep Maria Orovic will represent me and he and he alone can speak on my behalf. Obviously, I'll be looking for the best possible opportunity so that I can enjoy my last few years as a player. I'm looking for a club where I can keep learning, but where I can also share everything I've learned at this club. The President has also authorised me to tell you that if I don't find a club I'm interested in, he'll keep a place for me here. However, my mind is made up and I'm going. This is not a decision I've taken on the spur of the moment after a particularly good or bad match. It's something I've been thinking about for a long time. I'm determined to give another club the benefit of the knowledge and experience I've developed here under the tutelage of many talented people. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank Presidents Nunez and Gaspar, all the directors and all my coaches who have guided me from the age of 13. I want to thank Sarah Ferrer, all the backroom staff and my teammates who have helped make me a great footballer. I consider myself fortunate to have played with them. I would also like to thank you too, those with whom I've got on well and those with whom I've had my ups and downs. We've come a long way together. I'd also like to thank those fans who've supported me as a player and those who haven't been so impressed because at the end of the day, we're all driven by our love for this club. Thank you to everyone who has helped me become what I am today. I reproduce the statement because it's so telling. A symbol of the club leaves and the president can't be bothered to be with him on the occasion. They go on to give two separate verdicts on what has happened. Also, consider Guardiola's formal, articulate tone. It's how he tries to comport himself to this day, particularly in public. His adoration for the club and his time there is patent. But his statement that he feels his career is slipping away through his fingers and his unashamed admission that he'll be knocking on doors rather than waiting for the queue to form is typical of Guardiola's perfect willingness to wear his heart on his sleeve. No false dignity, nor false modesty. Sleeves up, work hard, don't be afraid to admit how much you want something. He also spoke of his passion for the English teams. He said, they're honest, aggressive, and normally they don't play for a draw like Liverpool recently tried to do when they played at the Camp Nou. In the stadiums of England, you breathe football in its pure, natural state. I still remember the first time I played at Old Trafford. It was unbelievable. These were the start of immensely turbulent times. Luciano Moggi, president of Juventus, offered and then reneged on a chance to play in Turin which Guardiola wanted to accept. His time in Italy included playing for Carlo Mazzoni at Brescia and ended with what turned out to be a false accusation of Nandrolone use. Between two short stints at Brescia, Guardiola joined Fabio Capello's Roma with the intention of learning from one of the great modern managers. By the time he left, he did more than enough of Capello the man, but he had learned things which would feature in his future coaching life. Guardiola's years in Qatar were bittersweet. Without real pressure, there was time to muck about with mates like Hierro and the De Boer twins playing golf, going to the movies and learning English, while also devoting more time to family life. Hierro's recollection is, after Pep's career at Barca and his experiences in Italy, all we wanted to do was enjoy playing football again, just like we did when we were 17 and starting out. We wanted to recapture that joy. A Spanish television interview from that time reveals that he was feeling 
at least as Catalan as ever, after a total of four years away. Having admitted that only the fact he could get home every few months made life away from Catalonia more bearable, he restated his wish that the Catalan national team would be recognised by UEFA. Unfortunately, the football law states that Catalonia can't play as a national team in all the big competitions. When I played in the Spanish league, I was called to play for the national team and I was happy to do so. But you cannot change what you feel and I love my country with all my head and all my heart. My country has its own language for hundreds of years, unique to Catalonia. And having touched on identity, he spoke from the heart about the myriad misinterpretations which his characters inspired about him. Loads of people my age read and enjoy going to the cinema. It's just that when I talk about that stuff in interviews, I come across as a bit different. The truth is, a lot of footballers love books in the cinema. There are those who are quite happy with a McDonald's and others who prefer good restaurants. I strive to live with passion and not to be desensitised to life. Things matter to me. You've got to live like that. Otherwise, what's the point? It's not possible to please everyone. And there's no point in trying to be what other people think you should be. For me, it's important to be who I am. Not just to be different, but to be as authentic as I can be. His friendship with the fashion designer, Tony Miro, had led to the two of them talking about a new clothes line in spring 1993 and then Guardiola volunteering to model part of the new range in July that year. It was off-season, and his time was his own, but, as Miro recalls, Cruyff wasn't happy. Pep and I were chatting. He liked the idea of going on the catwalk for me, but Cruyff was so displeased that he punished him by dropping him. When my friend, Gabriel Marcotti, the Times' excellent European football correspondent, visited Guardiola in Doha, he found him lamenting the rapid changes in the game since his debut 14 years earlier. He told Gabriel, I think players like me have become extinct because the game has become more tactical and physical. At most clubs, players are given specific roles and creativity can only exist within those parameters. I haven't changed. My skills haven't declined. It's just that football has changed. It's a lot more physical. To play in front of the back four right now, you have to be a ball winner. If I were a 20-year-old at Barcelona, I'd never make it as a professional. At best, I'd be playing in the third division somewhere. What dismal, depressing words they were. But he's gone on to prove himself wrong. The young Pep Guardiola would fit right into the current Barca side, even if his tackling was slightly less powerful than that of Sergio Busquets. One man who felt differently about the Catalan passing machine was Paul Jewell, which accounts for one of Guardiola's unsuccessful flirtations with English football. At the end of 2005, he was tired of life and football in Qatar, but had decided to follow his pal Hierro, who had joined Bolton Wanderers for a season. Hierro loved his short time in England. Jewell hadn't been forearmed with that knowledge, but he did know that Guardiola might still have that vision and professionalism to offer his Wigan team as they strived to establish themselves in the Premier League. The Wigan manager phoned Guardiola, left a message, but, as he told me, never really expected to get a reply. But just over two minutes later, Pep phoned back. He was very interested in my proposal and stopped me when I tried to explain a little bit about Wigan by saying, I've been watching you. I know exactly how your team plays and I'm not at all surprised Wigan have been successful. Terms were discussed and despite Wigan's maximum wage then being just over £10,000 per week, Guardiola was keen to sign up. Jewel says now, I'd always loved the way Pep played. He was ahead of his time. Of my era, he was the best passing midfielder and he made football look like a stroll. What happened to Jules' great misfortune is that Guardiola's close friend and fellow football romantic, Juan Malillo, took over at Mexico's Dorados de Sinaola and put the squeeze on the Catalan to come and help him in midfield. Loyalty being as important as it is to Pep, he said yes, 
and shelve the Wigan idea. It remains a regret for Jewel. Simplicity is one of the most effective but most difficult to achieve components of football at its best, the Ipswich manager told me. He had that as a player and just look at how his team plays now. Too many players and coaches complicate the game unnecessarily but Barca under Guardiola never do. I remember he always knew where the ball was going to come free because of Barcelona's pressing in midfield and then he used the fewest touches necessary to move the ball to the right place for an attack. Now his team replicate that. Of the hundreds and hundreds of passes they completed against Arsenal and Manchester United this season, 2010-11, so many of them were one or at most two touch. And if they don't need to touch the ball, they don't. If the pass is good, his players just let the ball roll across their body position and keep it moving forward. I wish I'd had the chance to work with him. What Guardiola discovered in the desert, and then in Mexico during that very short, unfulfilling spell with Leo, was that he utterly needed to remain involved in football. Typically, he wanted to do things the right way, not grab the first opportunity. In 2003, there were epoch-defining presidential elections at the Camp Nou. Joan Laporta would win, and the good times would roll. But initially, his closest rival was Luis Bassat. Bassat had been smart enough to identify Guardiola, then still with Roma, as a brilliant asset for the Catalan club. The candidate for the presidency of FC Barcelona wanted Guardiola to become coach, aged only 32. Bassat recalls, When I ran for the presidency in 2003, I went to Rome to sign Pep. I knew he was a clever guy, who loved Barca and would work hard for his club. We talked for six hours and he convinced me that he wasn't coach material yet. He hadn't sat the coaching licence by then. So I changed my mind and decided that he would be better as my future director of football. He would have been brilliant, just as he's a brilliant coach now. In the end, Bassat finished second in the polls and Guardiola went back to playing and preparing for his future. Via the Spanish Federation, Guardiola achieved his coaching badges and almost immediately was appointed coach of Barca B. It was June 2007, and although just over a year had passed since Barca won their second league and European Cup double, rust had set into Frank Reichard's team. Quickly after winning the Champions League in Paris, defeating Arsenal 2-1, two important figures had left. Henk Ten Kata, who'd been the bad cop to Reichard's community policeman, left to take over at Ajax. Though Reichard had been a tough footballer and a remorseless winner, he once told me that the street football in which he learned his skills was kill or be killed, he didn't have it in him to crack the whip. Reichard's personal life was also pretty messy. He lost focus, he lost his sergeant major and he lost his cutting edge. He wasn't working as hard or as hungrily and so, naturally, some of his players stopped doing so too. And Henrik Larsson departed the squad. The Swedes' impact had been enormous. Relentlessly hard-working, smart, utterly professional and with a cold attitude to anyone who didn't match his standards, it wasn't hard to understand why the Camp Nou crowd absolutely adored him. The responsibility to keep a squad on the right lines doesn't rest solely on the players, certainly not on a single individual inside the dressing room. But had Larson still been at the camp now, when things began to unravel, there would have been harsh words about standards, fitness and behaviour. A year after Guardiola's low-key return to Barca in May 2008, Reichard's team reached the Champions League semi-final but were turgid and ready to be punctured by Paul Scholes' fizzing winner at Old Trafford. The weather check had been there for anybody paying attention. The Camp Nou crowd had actually jeered their team into the semis because the quarter-final display against Schalke Nulfir was so tentative and patchy. The players simply didn't look as physically fit, as determined or as happy in their work. It was like watching a ferocious hunting dog transform 
pretty rapidly into the podgy Labrador who could fetch your slippers but would cower in the face of a yappy poodle. Reichard had given Barca some exceptional, exciting years and his rebuilding was complemented by intelligent support from Juan Laporta and Chiqui Bagiristain. Behind the scenes, Ferran Soriano and Mark Ingler had utterly transformed the club's finances and stiffened its marketing punch. They are two underrated brains in the resuscitation of the modern FC Barcelona. But it was only Laporta's fierce loyalty to Reichardt and the quality of work which the Dutchman had originally brought to an ailing giant, which earned him the chance to continue as coach during that 2007-2008 season. It proved a mistake. So what of our hero and his 12-month stint with the kids in the meantime? When a brain's trust of Laporta, Cruyff, Begiristein and Everest Murtra, a board member, decided that Guardiola needed to be repatriated, there had been a bit of a debate, even then, as to whether he was the right man for the Barca B job. Below the first team, there are around 12 youth levels from the age of seven years upwards. There's no reserve football as such in Spain. If a first-team regular has been out injured and needs to play his way back to fitness, he can't drop in for a few B games. The B team is a proving ground for the young bucks, a selling forum for those who, at 22 to 25 years of age, haven't made it into the first squad, and it's also a thermometer for the overall health of the FC Barcelona gene pool. It's a professionally paid squad. In 2011, it had 27 players. And in the past, such as Juan de Ramos, have cut their managerial teeth there. There was a trace of sadness in the move for Guardiola in that he was replacing Kike Costas, a man who, in a previous life as Barca B coach, had given the young midfielder much advice and impetus ahead of his playing debut under Cruyff. There was a horrible atmosphere around the club at the time because the decline in one year had been so steep. The day that Guardiola was ushered in relatively unheralded by even the Catalan media, Begiristein was fiercely criticising the first-team squad. Training has to be more rigorous, more professional. We're losing games from winning positions, we're losing goals in the last minutes of games, and not until we train better will we play better. Laporta, that same day, added, Some players I take my hat off to, others I have no reproach for at all. But there's a third group, talented, whose behaviour hasn't been what it should be. Most telling of all was Reichard, who history shows should have been removed then and not 12 months later. He said, From this past season, I'll choose the memory of Carlos Puyol, my captain. He has felt alone in the desert, yelling his lungs out to try and maintain team spirit. He suffered a lot this year. Reichard also revealed it would be too easy to blame the players. They behave as you let them. I'd rather turn the blame on myself. Guardiola, though unproven, already had the air of a fresh, urgent, hungry leader. At his presentation as Barca B coach, he said, What I was as a player is gone. As a coach, I'm nobody and I'm starting from zero. Only winning will bring me credibility. That's my only way to grow as a coach. The priority here is to continue producing first-class footballers. But if I don't win, if we don't achieve promotion, then I won't be allowed to continue here. That's the way things are. I didn't have any other offer, and for that I must thank Barca, because if they hadn't come looking for me, I'd be sitting at home. The first thing I want to do is transmit the pride and honour that I feel at being involved with this club again. I don't view this as working in the third division, but working for Barca B. The players shouldn't think that they are playing in the third division, but pushing at the doors of the first team. Laporta, never short of a bon mot, later recalled, from what we could sense, Pep would probably have accepted coaching Barca B without a salary. The year went well. The B team had just suffered the humiliation of relegation to the third division and Pep was arriving without the benefit of a stable, 
established squad. There was a telling moment before the first home game in the 17,000 capacity mini-stadium about 100 metres from the camp now. His enthusiastic, raw players were trying to over-impress in training and Guardiola could be heard shouting words which were utterly evocative of his first Catalan television interview nearly 20 years earlier. I don't want you all trying to dribble like Leo Messi. Pass it. Pass it and pass it again. Pass precisely. Move well. Pass again. Pass, pass, pass. I want every move to be smart. Every pass accurate. That's how we make the difference from the rest of the teams. That's all I want to see. The game, actually, stood as a marker for most of the season. Balaguer hit it long, lumped into Guardiola's young players, had two sent off and lost 4-2. For the record, Guardiola's first home starting eleven as coach of Barca B was Oyer, Corcoles, Xavi Torres, Botia, Victor Sanchez, Espasandin, Crosas, Dimas, Abraham, Jeffren, Victor Vázquez and Guerra. Both Pedro and Eneco came on with Pedro, now a World Cup winning superstar, scoring the third goal on the hour. Far from the elegant figure we see on match days now, the new coach ran his first home game in a pair of jeans and a pink Italian t-shirt. At home, Guardiola made Barca be near to unbeatable. Much of what we see now is available at a cheaper ticket price then. Along with the passing mentality, which was still harder to enforce amidst the long ball, hustle and hassle which was the norm in the third division, Guardiola made them work. Training was rigorous. Anyone who didn't cut it in their daily work, no matter how important they were, simply didn't get picked at the weekend. There were fines, rules and a cute little bonus system. Guardiola met with his captains at the start of the pre-season and promised that Every time the team won three in a row, he would take the squad out to lunch after training and pay for it personally. It only required a month for his lads to hurt his wallet, and it wouldn't be the last time that season. On numerous occasions, they were seen in restaurants like El Goria and El Asador de Aranda, but he offset his own expenditure with fines for anyone late, anyone caught not training well enough, anyone out past midnight on a working day, and for red cards. I can't swear that he fined himself, but Guardiola felt the tension that season and was sent off. But they won the third division by a point. Fullbacks became wingbacks. Wingers cut inside to make five forwards when the wingbacks overlapped them. Sergio Busquets cut his teeth at Pivotti and often dropped back to help at the back four when the original 4-3-3 went to a 3-4-3. The Pivotti ordered the play, used the ball most frequently and dropped back as an auxiliary central defender alongside either Bottia, Chico or Valiente. The central striker and the two interiores, right and left midfield, combined to press if the opposition tried to play the ball out from the back. The result? Barca B went 21 games unbeaten at home. There was also the emergence of what would become most famous in the pre-match build-up to the Rome Champions League final in 2009, the motivational video. For example, before Barca B's first playoff tie against Castillo, he showed them the movie Zidane, a 21st century portrait. It's an inspirational piece and the kids won 6-0. Guardiola has a quite understandable obsession with his team starting like hungry animals in the first five minutes, which is where the idea of sending his players out behind a massive adrenaline buzz from a film like that stems from. Before the final game of the season, the decisive second leg of the playoff against Barbastro, he showed a video of a 60-year-old father and his son who suffers from cerebral palsy, competing together in an Ironman contest. He chose to show the film 15 minutes before kickoff. In many of the events, the father has to carry his son. Some players later admitted that they went out to play with tears nipping at their eyes. 
It was all a template for his first three seasons in charge of the first team. 10,000 fans in the mini Estadi saw Victor Vasquez's goal sealed promotion back to the Segunda B division. For the record, his final B team was Oyer, Corcoles, Chico, Xavi Torres, Espasandin, Sergio Busquets, Dimas, Victor Vasquez, Abraham, Pedro, Emilio, Guerra and Guy. By then, Guardiola had known for a few months that he was likely to succeed Rijkaard the following season. It was one hell of a way to sign off from his first coaching job. The Big Interview is produced by Backpage and me, Graham Hunter. The music you always hear, the music that you love, is Beer Jacket, who's always been there for us. Big hug to you, baby. You can keep up with everything that we do, within reason. You can enter exclusive competitions and put your questions to our future big interview guests by getting on the mailing list at grahamhunter.tv. How many times do I have to tell you? Yes, several thousand of you have done it, but come on, slackers at the back, sign up. That grahamhunter.tv site is also where you can buy the new updated version of Barca, the making of the greatest team in the world. It's my account of the Guardiola era at the camp now. 2008 until 2012 plus Tito Tata and Adios Johan Cruyff it is in all good bookshops now but it does also make a big difference to all of us who've worked on the project if you choose to buy direct at grahamhunter.tv forward slash books you'll be sure to get the new edition and you will be helping us to continue producing independent content thanks for listening thanks for being there without you This would be fun, but a lot less fun. See you soon.